Welcome to the Mothers You Know podcast. Thank you for being here. This is a place where we as women remember the spirit God gave us. We know how much we matter and we believe all things are possible to them that believe on the Savior Jesus Christ. Here at Mothers You Know, we support the parents of young men in the Sons of Helaman and young women in the Daughters of Light programs at Life Changing Services. These programs provide therapeutic and mentoring services for youth struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, pornography, and any other unwanted or difficult behaviors. We offer parent support, training, and resources for mothers and fathers seeking the best way to support their loved one. Any mother is welcome to join in the Mothers Who Know classes support and training. You do not need to have a child in life-changing services to join in. We hope you'll join us. I am Karen Broadhead. I serve as the director of Mothers You Know, and I serve as the parent support specialist at life-changing services. I invite you to join with me and other mothers from across the country in our Warrior Mothers Who Know online support and training group held every Tuesday at 10.30 a.m. Mountain Time. If you have a child struggling with pornography, depression, anxiety, or other difficult behaviors, you will find a safe and uplifting place to learn from other moms and learn principles and strategies to best support your loved one. Please go to motherswhoknow.org to find the online meeting details. We talk about difficult things here with the intent to shine light in dark corners and to eliminate isolation and shame. We are mothers with warrior hearts who are raising the warriors of this generation. We know we must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Welcome to Stay by the Tree series. We are so glad to have you this morning. And I would like to start with some announcements before Karen Broadhead introduces our speaker, Kristen Moorfield. We're so glad that you joined us. This webinar is sponsored by Mothers Who Know, the website motherswhoknow.org. Mothers Who Know is a part of Life Changing Services which offers training and healing for the whole family. And if you'd like more information, please call Life-Changing Services at 877-437-6877 or refer to the website lifechangingservices.org. I'd like to talk a little bit more now about Mom Power Training. We would love to invite you to Mom Power Training which is an eight-week training, and it's an opportunity to find peace, purpose, and clarity for yourself and those you love. This training is presented by Karen Broadhead, who is the Parent Support Specialist at Life Changing Services and founder and director of Mothers Who Know. Our next round of training starts Tuesday, September 1st. But if you register before September 1st, you will be able to take Mom Power Training at no cost. The website will change on the 1st and there will be a registration fee. 
And we encourage you to invite other women to come with you to Mom Power Training. The website for that is Mom Power Training, and you'll be able to, to register for Mom Power Training there. Between each eight-week Mom Power Training, we offer a free three-week live webinar series, and that's where you are today. You can see that we're highlighted on August 18th, and here are our wonderful presenters for this time around. Today, you can see we have Kristen Moorefield. Last week, we had Anelody Milne. Also, the resource that she mentioned last week, the Mentor's Handbook, it is available on the lifechangingservices.org website now. So go check it out. And next week, we have Cody Haas coming. His topic is... Where didst thou doubt transitioning to relying on Christ? Our message of hope today from Kristen Moorfield is the intersection of shame and trauma, learning to live in compassion. And Karen will give us an introduction to Kristen, but I just want to tell you all that she is my friend, and I am just so thrilled to have her here today. Back to you, Karen. I had the opportunity to meet Kristen yesterday. Debbie introduced her to me, and I've been so looking forward to our webinar today for to hear from her because of just all the lovely things that Debbie has shared with me, but also going and learning more about her as we met. I just thought, this woman knows what it means to build upon the rock of our Redeemer. She knows what it means when people say life gets stormy and the devil tries his best to drag us down to the gulf of men, misery and endless woe. I love Helaman 512. And as I listened to her yesterday and then I was studying our Come Follow Me lesson for this week, and Helaman 512 is in this week's lesson, I just thought, yeah, she knows what she's defending, she knows what she's protecting, and she's found such a connection to her divine identity through storms. And no matter what the adversary's done to send his storms to beat upon her, she's built upon a sure foundation, that sure foundation of Christ that if we build, we cannot fall. And I really appreciated her warrior heart. And so I'm so excited for her to talk today about the topic that she's talking about because she's lived it. And I love it when people share what they've lived and how they've become uh, triumphant over trial and affliction because they're connected to our Savior and champion, Jesus Christ. And so I just am so excited to introduce you to her. So thankful, Kristen, that you're here with us and that you would be so generous to share your message. And so grateful for Debbie that she referred us to you. And Debbie, what's something that inspires you about Kristen? Well, you can see a picture of her beautiful family. And, and the word that I chose is a word that you also used in your introduction and that you said is so generous of her to be here. Generosity is the word that I would choose for Kristen. 
she did something so amazing as COVID was starting. She sponsored Talk Tuesdays where individuals and groups could just talk about what was going on with her. She donated her whole day, and that is a very generous thing to do. It was a situation that she did not love, and nor did anyone else, and so she was willing to share her time to help people adjust to the new normal. So, so grateful for her generosity. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, and... Kristen, we're going to turn the time over to you. And ladies who are here to participate in this webinar, if you will just be sure to take, get your pen and your paper out and take some notes because at the end, we're going to have a Q&A with Kristen. And also, because of her topic and because of her care and her knowledge of women and how all of us have a level of trauma in our lives from something, it's just part of mortality. And some of them, some it's deeper than others, but as you go along, if there's things that you have questions about or want more clarification on, you can put them in the chat and then at the end, we'll bring it up. All right, Kristen, you're on. Hi, good morning. I want to welcome you. I want to thank you for coming. I want to tell you how excited I am to speak today, which is not how I was feeling yesterday, but I think I'm going to call this excitement today. I want to start by saying that I know most of us here share a common faith in Jesus Christ. Most of us are Christian and most of us are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And there are also some who are not. And I want to make sure that you know that you are welcome. One of the things that happens in our, in my faith culture, not necessarily my gospel beliefs, but in my faith culture, I, there are some lingo, there are some words, and I will be using some of those today, like bishop and referring to scriptures that are kind of extra in addition to the Bible. And so if you have any questions about those, type them in the chat, let me know personally, or check with a friend, whoever it was that invited you to join us today. So you are very welcome, and I'm really glad you're here. I also want to mention before things get rolling that I will be using both personal stories and client stories. When I share somebody else's story, I want you to know that in advance I obtained their permission and, was, and received it. It's really important to me that we respect privacy, just as important as it is to me that we tell our stories. So I wanna be clear. I love what I do as a therapist. It is really important work. It's really, to me, it feels like sacred work because people are telling me their truth. And it's usually their shame truth, a piece of themselves that they don't want anybody to know. I specialize in helping people overcome trauma and anxiety. That is what I do all day, every day. And that is hard work. Hearing people's trauma stories, hearing the shame that they have topped on that that has been added on to trauma is 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 hard and i've learned that i need to find ways to protect myself so that i can engage we are going to be talking a little bit about trauma today and i want to tell you how you can protect yourself my recommendation is that you notice just notice oh wow what she just said that was triggering for me and then Put your hand over your heart. I just did it automatically. Put your hand over your heart 
remind yourself that you are there for yourself and that this is a moment of suffering and it will pass. They always pass. The good passes, the suffering passes, it all passes, but hold yourself in that moment. As much as possible, I will try and tell you when something triggering might be coming up, but just in case you get triggered when I'm not talking about a trauma, just hold yourself, acknowledge it. I want to start with a mindfulness activity where I'm going to invite you to really connect with yourself and, and your body and your preferences and your thoughts, okay? It's, I call it the cilantro mindfulness activity. So cilantro, I just said it. How do you feel about it? I promise this is going somewhere. <laughs> some of us love cilantro and some of us really don't. And it turns out that there's a reason for that. There's a, there's a genetic marker that some people eat cilantro and it tastes like soap. Not my business. I love cilantro. So in this mindfulness activity, you've already identified whether you are a cilantro liker or a hater. Now I want to add some context and environment. Imagine that you are someone who does like cilantro. So for some of you, that's a big leap. You've decided to throw a dinner party and the main course is Chinese chicken salad. You are going to put wontons in there. You're gonna do some delicious chicken, sesame seeds and cilantro. Obviously this is before COVID when you could have a dinner party. So you've invited a whole bunch of people, maybe all of your friends, maybe it's a family reunion, I don't know, all 50 people. When, when they're eating, when you see the dinner is served, you notice about half of them are going and sliding the cilantro to the side of their, their, their plate. For those of you listening, I just made a face that said, I don't like cilantro, and they're sliding it to the side of their plate. Now, you're mindfully there, what comes up for you? What thoughts do you have? Notice what thoughts you have as you see people pushing a hefty part of what you just created to the side of their plate. I personally, what comes up for me is embarrassment. I feel embarrassed partially because in my mindfulness, I was very liberal with the cilantro. So now that I've had that feeling, I've noticed I feel embarrassed what story am I telling myself about that? And here's, here's my story. I would tell myself most likely that I was very self-centered and inconsiderate when I prepared the meal. And then I might have the desire to do something about it. That's, that's, my, that's my default. I might rush to the kitchen and find out if I have enough ingredients to make a new salad without any cilantro. That's my, that's my style. Continuing with this, there are a whole bunch of other ways that people might think and react. What is yours? I'm going to throw out a couple. I want you to hold yours in the head, see if I hit it. Some people might think, how rude. I can't believe they're picking out cilantro and making that face. I put in so much effort. I made them free food. This cost me a lot of time and money. Others might think, whoops. I didn't even know that not liking cilantro was a thing. Next time, maybe I'll do this assembly style and they can make their own. I have a few clients who would wait until after the party and punish themselves, hitting themselves, over-exercising, vomiting, 
all sorts of coping mechanisms that are less adaptive, but definitely a part of the range of experience. So once you have identified, oh, my husband's is, he would think, what's, oh, what does he do? He says, they're wrong, which is why it's so hard to argue with him. But that is a different topic for a different day. He, whatever, okay, I'm out of it. So his thought would be, they're wrong. Cilantro is delicious. I know other people who would apologize profusely. So which of these is closest to how you might respond? Get that answer in your head. And now I want you to know that I can almost hear you wondering what on earth cilantro has to do with trauma, shame, and compassion. And so, and so here's the answer. Only one of the responses that I mentioned was compassionate. And so we're going to show the responses on the screen so that you can look at them and decide which one is compassionate and, uh, and see if we can identify the one that is compassionate. Okay, so I'm going to read it to you for those who can't see the slide. Here are the seven responses. Tell myself that I was very self-centered when I prepared the meal. Try to fix it by rushing to the kitchen to see if I can make a new batch without cilantro. Think how rude of them to pick out the cilantro after I put in so much effort and made them free food. Think, whoops, I didn't even know that not liking cilantro was a thing. Next time I'll have a salad bar and let them assemble their own. Think, they're wrong, cilantro is delicious. Apologize profusely or hit myself or do some other damaging behavior. So if you picked number four, you're correct. That is the only compassionate response. And I don't know how to make that sound go away, so sorry if you heard it. So we'll come back to cilantro maybe a little bit later, but I wanna focus on compassion. Compassion connects us to ourselves. So when I realize I've done something wrong, in this case, I like cilantro, others don't. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but I've done something that maybe I feel uncomfortable about. I acknowledge it, and it, that helps me to not make the same mistake again. That's why number four was the correct answer. In the future, I'll do something differently. When I can conceptualize my mistake, it helps me to realize other people make mistakes too. This could have happened to anyone. This connects me with others. When I acknowledge my humanity, my common humanity, it connects me with humility, which in turn makes room for Heavenly Father and the Savior. When I shame myself or others for not knowing better, I close the door on connection. I reject Christ's saving power and I reject my own humanity. This is pride. Pride, there are two versions of pride. One is shame, one is pride. They're the same uh, sides of, the, different sides of the same coin. I didn't, I disconnect from others. So I'm going to say that again. It was a little clumsy. When I close the door on connection, I reject Christ's saving power. I reject my humanity and I disconnect from others. Compassion has the power to make us allies instead of enemies. So let's imagine that the issue is not cilantro, because let's be honest, it's never cilantro. <clears throat> let's imagine some other scenarios instead. For example, instead of cilantro, you have just found drug paraphernalia in your child's sock drawer, or you are aware of a friend who has had an abortion, 
or a child, or maybe you yourself, you have learned that someone in your family is looking at pornography a lot. Maybe your 12 year old daughter is begging to wear clothes that are too revealing. And you are a huge believer that it shouldn't be a girl's responsibility to keep other people's opinions in her mind when she dresses. Or maybe it's video games all the time. And you've noticed that your child kind of goes into withdrawals after they turn off uh, their, their switch or, or Xbox or whatever it is. So how do you bring compassion in the cilantro situation, we were pri primarily focused on just having compassion for ourselves. In the situations I've just described, the ante has been upped. We have to practice compassion for ourselves as well as taking the opportunity to hold compassion for others and if needed to take compassionate action. So I'm gonna walk through a couple of the scenarios that I just mentioned, probably just one for time. If you have other scenarios, something you're dealing with, you're, please privately share it with the chat host or share it with the group and we'll get to it in Q&A time if there's, uh, if there's time. As I transition into talking about compassion more in depth, I want to highlight the work of Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer. And it's not just because her name is Kristen. I can't even believe you thought that. Um, she spells it weird anyway. So Kristen Neff and Kristen, Christopher Germer have written a book called The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. This is listed on my resources and it can be found on my website and of course, Amazon. Kristen Neff has a wonderful TED Talk about compassion and some of her work can be found at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, which is a great resource. I'm going to share their mindful self-compassion graphic and I'll talk a little bit about that for those who are listening. So in this graphic we have three interconnected circles. This is for people who are listening. The one of the circles is mindfulness, the other is self-kindness, and the other is common humanity and they're all intersecting like a three-pronged Venn diagram. They go together, the order isn't specific, it rotates around and it happens over and over again. What I want to highlight about this is that compassion connects us to ourself, self to self. I like to think of head to heart, self to God, so my heart to my God, and myself to others. When I am mindful, like I was in the cilantro situation, whoa, I'm having a feeling about this, I could pause. And in that pause, I could make a choice. I could tolerate my own discomfort. Self-kindness is when I think, okay, what am I going to do about this? Am I going to hit myself? Am I going to run until I vomit? Am I going to, what am I going to do? I'm going to choose something kind. And then common humanity, again, connecting us to others, reminds us other people have made this mistake. My favorite restaurant serves Chinese chicken salad with cilantro. People have to ask it for it on the side if that's what they want, right? I've made this mistake because somebody else has made this mistake. Again, compassion makes us allies instead of enemies. So of course, I've taken something so simple and so beautiful and made my own version of it, which is super complicated, and we'll come back to it again. But just to focus on this for a second, this is what I call a compassion matrix. 
there are, there's a big circle in the center that's divided into four pie pies. On the upper left, it says, stay present, thinking of right this moment, this is where we are. On the upper right, it says validate, name it to tame it. This is a Dan Siegel phrase, which I love, and we'll talk more about that. One of, and then in the side of the circle, it says, this is hard, I don't like it, and I believe in you. Those are all validating statements. The bottom left quadrant of the pie, it says, be curious instead of judgmental. What is true? What is my brain telling me? In the bottom right, it says, stay connected. We are allies. What do we need right now? What does God want for us? And then there are a couple of other little circles around here. One says resources, one says rest, one says reward, and one says repeat. So I got my four R's. So praising, a positive focus, this will help us stay in compassion. So what I want to do is take want to talk about one of these, and um, I've changed it a little bit since my slide, but, but we're going to roll that one up there. Beautiful. We're going to talk about the short shorts. We're going to walk through how to be compassionate with your child who wants to wear clothes that are not modest. And I'm also going to add in here an addictive behavior, um, because I think a lot of us as moms are dealing with that either in ourselves or in others. It's, it's, it is our world right now is some sort of addictive behavior. So validate, start there. This is hard. I want you to think about validating yourself, your child. You've told them 13 times to turn off the Xbox. Maybe not 13. Most of you would do it three and then unplug it. I don't know about you. I'm sorry. I meant me 13. Okay. Validate. This is hard. I can see Kristen, you don't want to have this conversation with a child. That's why you're waiting so long to take action. I respect that. And then validate them. This is a hard conversation. You don't want me to take away something that you want. Your short shorts, your video game. We are all feeling some type of an emotion. What is that emotion? Annoyance, frustration, confusion, hopelessness, helplessness. Let's name it. And then also let's name, what is it about this video game or these short shorts that make you think, this is what I really want? And in the short shorts short scenario, there's a lot of really young girls on social media who dress like this and take kind of seductive photos and then post them. And so when your daughter is trying to connect with common humanity, she may be feeling like she's the only one who doesn't get to do this. And you may be feeling like you're the only mom who has had to have this conversation with your daughter. In that moment, we need to get really curious. Is it true? Or is it just that those are the photos you're seeing because the other moms who are having this conversation with their daughters, their daughters never post those photos because they don't even take them. Is it true that all of your friends are online playing a video game right now? Yeah, maybe, but some of them aren't. And it's also true that it's dinner time. It's homework time. It's chore time. It's also true that the timer went off during your video game time. So being curious, asking what is also true, 
getting all of the information. What evidence do we have? This is a time <clears throat> when you might want to pick up your resources. Where, where can I get help? Is there someone who can guide me through this time with my child? Are there books? Are there blogs? Are there podcasts? Are there um, YouTube videos? Is there a therapist who can help me? Part <clears throat> Uh, staying present with your child. One of the hardest things in these conversations is that I don't want to be there. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I tend to get so activated when I'm having conflict that I will, I have, <laughs> I have picked up my phone and opened solitaire during, during conflict because I need to, I need to shut down. You might need to shut down. Your child might need to shut down. And that's why I've got rest as a separate bubble on this list. Take a break. Even though it may not seem like you're being present, your brain has become activated. It needs time to come back to the moment. When you are calm, you can have this conversation. Staying present means noticing, are you too activated? Is your child too activated? How can you stay present by taking a rest? And for me, the answer to that is integrity. We're going to take a rest for 30 minutes. We will come back to this in 30 minutes. And then you are a person of your word and you do this and you set that example for your child. As the conversation continues and you stay present and curious and validating Notice opportunities to be grateful and positive. Praise. Thank you for staying with me for this. I know this is hard. It's hard for me too. When the conflict is over or at least resolved for the day, thank you for sticking with me. Way to go. What would be something less stressful that we can do now? And there's a little piece that I glossed over, which is as moms or parents, we have to make hard decisions to help our children grow so that they can make their own. So in the case of the short shorts, today, I have seen the worst of society. I need you to trust me as I make this decision. I have to honor my best judgment. I need to protect you. I am on your team, even though it does not see, seem like this. And when your child says you're the worst mom ever, just say, I'm pretty sure that Kristen, oh, wait, no, sorry, that somebody else is a worse mom than me. It's not even true. So we've talked a little bit about the compassionate way of staying in the circumstance. And now I want to transition to the opposite because I think it's really important to talk about the different ways that we parent. Here, here, here are some opposites. What are you wearing? I have told you repeatedly to turn off that game. How on earth do you think that that's modest? Didn't I teach you better? Your brain is going to rot if you continue on that video game. Your eyes are glassy. Look how angry you are. Doing, saying any of those things, but saying it in passing. Being on your phone. Going back to the kitchen to cook. Dropping that little shameful bomb and then walking away. This is hurtful. And this makes us enemies versus allies. So compassion keeps us moving forward despite trauma, 
And the trauma might just be the conflict, lowercase t trauma, the conflict with your child. This is not healthy for you. Compassion keeps us moving forward in that, where shame enhances the trauma and gets us stuck. There is research with MRIs that actually shows that the center of the brain that is activated during trauma is exactly the same, is activated the exact same way when we are shamed. Shame and trauma are best friends. They live together. But there is a way to have a trauma without having shame on top of it. Of course, there's also a way to have shame without having trauma on top of it. It's when these two intersect that we need compassion most of all. Most of us experience trauma in our lives. Lowercase t trauma might include living through COVID-19. For others of us, COVID-19 is a capital T trauma. It's important to note that we each experience the same trauma differently. Research has long studied the impact of trauma on humans and the human brain. Why do some of us survive and thrive after the untimely death of a family member, while others seem to be permanently shut down or impaired? Why do some of us become debilitated by a natural disaster, maybe even afraid to leave our homes, where other people are able to rebound more quickly? One of the answers is resilience. Resilience helps us to heal. It helps us to literally bounce back. And the other answer is shame. Shame and repeated trauma. If I have had over and over and over again a trauma that has been enhanced by shame, I will not rebound as quickly. In the Testament, there's kind of a lot of this A plus B equals C. I had to curse the people because they were bad. So bad people get cursed. When, when I was a young mom, let's see, it, this was more than, it was 20 years ago last year, my, my youngest child developed type 1 diabetes. It was a very traumatic time for me. I, it, was, it was a very hard time. During this time, my grandmother passed, my husband had surgery, and my middle child, in a six weeks period, she became diabetic as well. And this trauma in my life, I added shame. I added, this is your fault. I did the Old Testament on myself. My two children became diabetic because I'm in school full time and I'm not giving them enough attention and making them healthy meals. Bad things happen to bad people. I'm a bad person. Okay, 20 years ago, I'm a different person now. Now I'm talking about it. So I want to talk a little bit more about resilience. I have studied this extensively. I had the coolest opportunity to go to Mexico City for a semester in my grad school program and participate as a researcher on resilience. I got to interview tons of women about their really traumatic experiences and how they coped. And then I was able to engage them in a mindfulness activity, an art activity, and then reassess and notice the shift out of shame, out of trauma, and towards resilience. So 
I want to talk about a few resilience factors here. I think they're really relevant and they are, one of them is faith. One of them is that faith is a belief that there's something bigger than we are. And this can dovetail into the next one, which is a sense of purpose, a sense that the sense of purpose can also be called a growth mindset. This is happening for a reason or and this is my favorite version of that, what can I learn from this perspective that helps me survive and thrive? What can I learn? A sense of humor, being able to laugh, being able to find the lighter side. In the cilantro story, for example, the compassionate response included a very lighthearted, whoops, I didn't even know, instead of how could you not know, right? It's just, it was funny, my bad. Creativity is an incredible source of resilience. Art, music, dancing, poetry, writing. People who are creative survive and thrive so well that you can find numerous books and research studies on this topic. One of my favorites, we really don't have time for, but it's about Alzheimer's and creativity in, in uh, Scandinavian countries. Amazing stuff. Another resilience factor is knowledge that someone believes in you. This is especially important in teens. This is why connection and compassion are so critical. I believe in you. I've seen you do hard things. I've seen you triumph. I know you can do it again. And that's a message that we want our children to have because they're not going to be 12 forever. They're not going to be 17 forever. They're not going to be 30 forever. They need to incorporate and believe, I can do this. My mom believes in me. My dad, my bishop, my, my young women's leader, these people believe in me. It's a huge resilience factor. Physical health, intelligence, gratitude, empathy, a sense of power to create and accomplish your dreams. These are all resilience skills. And with only one exception, which is native intelligence, each of these skills can be learned, taught, practiced, and cultivated. This means that we can give resilience to our children and we can grow our own resilience. When I, when I think of resilience, I imagine those TV reporters in Florida in the late summer, early fall when it's hurricane season. And you see these 30 foot um, palm trees in the background that are bending instead of snapping. I've never seen one snap. They just bend. And we're going to learn through compassion to be more resilient. The opposite of resilience, I don't think it has a name, so I call it non-resilience. It's not just an absence of resilience resources. It is toxicity. It is a repetition of the trauma, the same trauma over and over and over again. I work with clients who were sexually assaulted as children over and over and over again, that despite their native faith, creativity, humor, intelligence, that trauma breaks them down and, and can hurt them. In this repetition of trauma, there is obviously a lack of compassion, a lack of presence, a lack of validation, a lack of care. One of the greatest amplifiers of trauma, the greatest act of non-resilience is shame. 
So I have a few stories that I want to share that illustrate this point. And these might be hard to hear. And this might be the point where you put your hand over your heart and just notice. I'm going to be sharing my daughter's story. She has very generously given me permission to share this story and to use her. I was going to say someone I know or my client, but this is my daughter's story. And I'm sharing this because I want to shine a light on the particular risks that we feel as members of an organized religion. Organized religions have long used shame to help us to be better, and it doesn't ever work. When my daughter was 17, she went to a party with her boyfriend. At the party, her boyfriend abandoned her to go and hang out with some other friends. And as she is a bit introverted and didn't really know anybody, she kind of sat by herself for a while. In this vulnerable place, another boy approached her and their interaction ended with sexual assault. He assaulted her. Her reaction as a 17-year-old girl was to come home and isolate herself. It was, it was after midnight. She went to her room. It was a Saturday night. And in the early hours of the next morning, around four o'clock, she still couldn't find comfort. And so she went to the church. My precious, innocent daughter went to our church parking lot, hoping to catch our bishop before his Sunday meeting started. She, she tried to sleep in her car. She was able to intercept him, and they were able to have a talk. And during that talk, she told him what had happened. She asked for guidance and direction and comfort, and she asked him to do what she believed, what she had been taught, which was to stand in for the Savior and minister to her. Unfortunately, he was not able to do that. He said, if you hadn't been at the party, this would not have happened to you. He went Old Testament. He told her that bad things happen to bad people. It was five years after that before she told me and her father. And in that five years, her shame of knowing that she had caused this horrible violation had metastasized and had become huger, huge. And she pivoted away from God, from the God that she knew at 17. She, she changed directions. And... In this story, I feel it's important to pause, and I want to tell you, to clarify, the trauma in this story was rape. The resilience in this story was reaching for God and leaning on her faith. And the shame that took this story to a different place was being told that the pain was her doing. For this child, innocence lost meant that she had to isolate, that she couldn't lean on the biggest pillar that I had given her as a mother of her faith. And she, had to, she felt that she needed to hide it. I am going to share another story of my daughter's that, again, she's given me permission to share. When she was, when she was living on her own with a bunch of roommates, there were about five or six girls, it was time to shift roommates. And one of the girls had her personality had been kind of changing and I'm not exactly sure why it could have been just her age. It could have been that she was involved in substance use. I don't know what happened, but 
this girl was, she had already moved away and she was coming back to collect her belongings. My daughter and I were preparing for that because my daughter was feeling in her gut, very afraid. And so we talked on the phone and I said, don't engage. If you can leave the house, don't be there when she gets there. If you feel this unsafe, don't be there. And there were a couple of other girls still at the house. And I said, and don't let them engage with her either. Be safe. Several hours later, my daughter called me and she was crying. She was, she was heartbroken. I could barely hear her through the sobs. The police had been called. She had been beaten by this girl with a bat. The girl had brought another, friends, another friend and together they had hurt my daughter with a bat. Now I'm 600 miles away from my daughter. She's up in Oregon when I hear this story. And I am absolutely horrified and traumatized because my child is hurting. But what did I say? I said, did you engage her? I told you not to engage her. I shamed my daughter. I, I told her that this was her fault. And so I want to tell you how we are living in healing. As I apply the compassion matrix, and if the slides can go back to that to that image of that compassion matrix. The one that I shared earlier, I had to stay present in this conversation with my daughter as we are having it now about 10 years, not, no, anyway, about, about eight years later. I had to stay present. I had to validate. I had to tell her that whenever it comes up for her, she is, it is okay to talk to me. I had to say to her and to myself, I made a mistake and it hurts us. I had to apply curiosity. And when I did, I realized that my own childhood was marked by abuse and shame. When I was, when I was hit, I learned to look for evidence that told me it was my fault. I, I learned to believe that, and, I, and I, unfortunately my childhood was marked by physical abuse, that that was my fault. Curiosity, when I applied that, it reminded me that I was so far away from my daughter, utterly overwhelmed and helpless. My parenting style is marked by fixing and not feeling. I wanted to fix. I just couldn't do it right then. I was too far away, and so I had to feel. And when I felt, the shame popped right to the surface. It was my habit. And then I looked at connection. Other parents have made this mistake. Other bishops have made this mistake. I am not alone. This helped me to connect with my Savior. It helped me to repent, and it has helped me to forgive. So I chose to try and live today in this compassion matrix. My therapist says, that healing happens in increments. And so I've had to keep the door open on this very sad, sad story so that whenever my daughter feels it coming up, she can talk to me about it. In, in the interest of time, I want to acknowledge that it is very hard to dip our toes in such an important topic when we could really spend hours on shame, on trauma, on compassion. It is my hope that this has given you something to think about. Maybe, maybe you've learned a little bit about the importance of compassion for yourself. Maybe you connected that 
Compassion is Christ-like because it connects us, it heals us, and it makes us allies. I have abiding faith that Christ's atonement and God's love are big enough to heal us, to heal our children, to heal our world. Our hearts for good are big enough to reach for this goodness and to be healed. I take great hope and faith in this scripture from DNC 2912. It also appears in Luke 22 and DNC 2076. Uh, it explains, this is Jesus speaking. He says, by the will of the Father, the 12 which were with me in my ministry at Jerusalem will stand by my right hand on the day of my coming. They shall be in a pillar of fire, being clothed with robes of righteousness, with crowns on their heads, in glory, even as I am, to judge those who have loved me. I want to point out that Christ just said all 12 apostles who are in Jerusalem will be with him and clothed in glory. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Peter, who denied him. The weakest and the strongest of the disciples will be clothed with robes of righteousness, wearing crowns of glory. We, too, have already been forgiven. God the Father, his love for us manifested as Jesus Christ, who died for us. We can survive any trauma we face. We can learn to love and be compassionate as Christ does. We can reject shame, which is a tool and a poisonous one of the adversary. This is my prayer. And with gratitude, I just want to say thank you for being with me here today. Thank you so much, Kristen. So good. And as you were sharing that last part, I've never heard that spoken like you just did with that scripture in DNC and in Luke. I think that's so powerful. It just reminds me of something that I, I was listening to an audiobook. The audiobook was by S. Michael Wilcox, or I think that's how you say his name. And he, it's about a crystal staircase. It's a parable of the crystal staircase or how to get to heaven, something like that. But in the last chapter of the book, he describes just, just a moment of pondering that he had in his life. And that in his pondering that he was taken to a place of imagining very vividly what it would be like to approach the Savior and be judged. And he said that there wasn't any other people there. He was just ushered into this room. And he was just, it was a really beautiful room with these two great chairs sitting really close to each other. And he sat there next to the Savior and the Savior asked him, you know, important questions about his life is like, did you, did you preach my gospel? Did you redeem the dead? Did you serve? What kind of dad were you? Did you honor your priesthood? Did you, anyway, all these things. And then he said, just his initial questions really bothered him because he thought, oh, great. Here we go, because his memory was always of his failures, always of his lack. And when the Savior, you know, said, well, 
Let's, and he said his answer was always, well, I tried. That was his answer. Well, I tried. And then the Savior would open up to his view how he had fathered his children and what he'd done to preach the gospel, all these things. And it was the most brilliant, beautiful, positive uh, rendition of himself. All the highest parts of himself were, were portrayed in what he could see. And then when he, it was done, he'd say, but what about, what about all the times I didn't do that, that I didn't fulfill that? And he said, then the Savior would say, tell me about those times. So he tried to describe his failures and his weakness and his desire to do better, but not being able to do better and, and the regrets that he had. And then the Savior would say, in just the most compassionate way and loving understanding, he'd say, I, I, did, I don't remember any of that. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any of that. And I just thought that was such a beautiful, I guess, second witness to what you said. Mm. Wow. that we've already been forgiven, that the Savior is all about being our advocate and seeing us in our best self and in the desires of our heart. And anyway, that was just such a recent moment for me of gratitude that just testifies of what you just shared with us. Thank you for that. Well, Sisters, I'm going to turn the time back over to Debbie for some closing remarks. And if you can stay, we'd love for you to stay for the Q&A. And then right after Debbie is done with the closing remarks, we'll go back to a Q&A. We're so grateful that you were here with us today. And just a reminder to that you're invited to take mom power, that you want to register, you and your friends want to register before September 1st so that you can do so free. And, and we're just so grateful that Kristen was able to be here with us today and share with us and, and is now willing to have a Q&A with us. So one question I get a lot is, where did you get this necklace? <laughs> That's not true. But I said that for my friend Carol, who, is, who was with me when I bought this in a little town called Madrid. It's in New Mexico. My friend Carol lives in Santa Fe. So shout out for jewelry. Any other questions? I do have one in the chat. So we'll just go in the order that they were received. If you have made the mistake of saying those shaming things to your kids, how do you fix it? How can you repair that damage? Great question. I did not, I'm so glad that you brought this up. It, studies have shown that we only need to be awesome parents 30% of the time, 30%, 30%. This is my favorite. Nora Ephron, who wrote movies like Clueless and Sleepless in Seattle, she said, the sign of a good parent is one whose child can afford to pay for their own therapy. So if any of you have paid for your own therapy, that means your parents were good parents. What? That took me a long time to wrap my head around. And it means if my children are paying for their own therapy, and they are, I was a good parent. But it also suggests that we're all going to need support at some point, right? So 30% of the time. 
one of the, my, my oldest child is 32, my daughter is 30, and my youngest is 28. And one of the things that I do as I have come alive to my own trauma and shame is I pray to be the mom that my children need today, right? I couldn't, I can't change the past. The past, uh, that's part of my, my matrix is staying in the present. I cannot do anything about what happened before. I can only change who I am today. And so that's what I try and do. If we have, like I had, and that's why I shared that personal story of shaming my daughter when she was beaten with a bat, right? What I did is I have now opened the door. We can talk about this. We can say, I'm sorry. We can get all of those components of the compassion matrix. Being, being curious, what was it that made me, that, that shaming was my first reaction. When I think of that dear bishop who had this crying girl in front of him, I can give him, I can be curious. What was it that caused him to go immediately to shame? Was it that he was a bad man? I don't, I don't think so. Was it that he was disconnected from, from compassion and Christ? That seems more accurate to me. So being brave enough to live today in compassion will help us heal incrementally the wounds that our children um, have already incurred. It's hard work. It's really hard work. Just top of that, you know how you said, now you can say sorry to your daughter. Just an add-on to this question is, you know, sometimes in our own shame for doing it wrong, we know that we can say sorry logically and Mm -hmm. that we should and Mm -hmm. that that's a healthy thing for us to do. So we can say it over and over again and we can tell there's really no movement happening. Yes. What, anyway, I just think there's a level of, understanding about sorry and then there's a level of compassion about sorry yes and so what's what are other ways if you've noticed well i have said sorry and it just got worse or it's not getting better and i keep saying sorry because some of us don't even understand well how do you really say sorry (laughs) i mean what's another way to approach the i'm sorry or that I, I can see now I could have done better, but that's there and here's now and what, how can we, yeah. So great question. And immediately my brain goes to compassion. I just a few weeks ago, um, working with an older client, well, not that old, she's 25 and her mom down from Utah. And we had a, a three family sessions in a row back to day, three days in a row. Oh my gosh. And the mom kept saying, I'm sorry, and the daughter couldn't hear it because I'm sorry doesn't really, it's the first step, but it's not the end. So what we ended up really practicing was that validation piece. When I said to my daughter, what did you do to aggravate them? What I can say to her is, Clark, I am so, so sorry that I did that how did you feel when you heard that from me? Helping her get in touch with her feelings makes it not about me. I'm sorry tries to fix. Compassion tries to feel. So staying with her, staying with your, with your son. When I did that, when I 
ripped when I broke your Xbox. I am so sorry. I I was so angry. How did you feel? Oh my gosh, I bet you felt betrayed, confused, angry, lost. Oh my god. How how do you feel now? How does it feel for me to talk to you about this right now? Can we come up with a strategy for how we can be in this moment in in a future moment if I say this and and you know, hey, mom's got a temper or mom might get triggered and and I know, hey, he's he's playing a game. What could we do so that we could do it better next time? Right? So that in, in the cilantro scenario, it's the, oh, crap, and the, what can I do in the future? And, and that was just having compassion for me. When there's another person involved, it has to be, wow, I can't believe I did that. What was it like for you? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, think that's what, I think that's what Christ does. It's like, yeah, I've heard you say you're sorry, but you're still hurting. Why are you still hurting? Tell me more. Mm. And, and then we start to tell our story. Yeah. Oh, so for me, the takeaway was, I'm sorry equals trying to fix it. And compassion equals I'm trying to feel about it. Yes. So good. All right, Debbie. My young adult son is staying with us right now. My husband just found vape stuff in his room and we don't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. He's been, the young adult son has been struggling with substance abuse and same sex attraction. And so they're just wondering what the next step is for them. Okay. Beautiful question. Thanks for not giving me an easy one. So, (laughs) so in this situation, you have to address it, right? You, you love your child enough to know that this could be harmful because we, we know science says that vaping is harmful. So you have to address it. Big piece of this is the timing. We didn't really get to talk about it, but when our brain is shocked or traumatized, as your brain was when you found the vape stuff, you are not able to have a compassionate conversation. Dan Siegel talks about the hand model of the brain. This is it. Um, Deep inside here is the part that is the fire alarm center of the brain. It tells you if you're safe or not. When When we have a traumatizing experience, we flip our lid. This is exposed. And this is when we can't hear. We, we go to flight, okay, flight, fight, freeze, or fawn. We go to those reactions and we aren't going to be able to be fully present. So that's why presence is such a, one of the four components. So when you find something like this, being calm, getting to a place of, I need to be present. I want to be curious. I want to understand this. A lot of times people who have that vape stuff in their drawer will, when caught, say, my friend, I'm holding it for a friend. And so you want to be prepared and, and, and smart. So the curiosity is maybe, are they telling me the truth? What does my gut say? Having the conversation without being shaming could look like this. Hey, I noticed this vape stuff in your room. What my brain told me about this is that you are using 
you're smoking, you are using drugs, you are whatever your brain told you about this. I am making up that you are in pain. And that makes me feel so sad. I don't want you to hurt. Do you want to talk about it? How can we do something to help you not hurt? Is it even true? Are you hurting? Right? So it's opening, is that, I hope that resonates. It's opening up the conversation with, here's what my brain is telling me. Where normally we open it up with, what, what? You told us you had stopped, or I can't believe this, or just throwing it away and seeing if they even notice. I have lots of parents who do that. I have one couple where she tells her husband, and he says, he says something to her, and then he she confiscated all the, the, the vape stuff. She gave it to her husband. Her husband said, wow, that's terrible. I can't believe it. And then gave it back to the son because he doesn't feel that this is a big deal. So being on the same page with your, with your spouse is also really useful. So keep that in mind. It, it, right. A tip of the iceberg, right? All right. Do we have any live questions or should I keep feeding them from the chat? I do I have, have a couple. I have a couple that came to me. One okay. person asked if I do personal counseling and how can I get info for that? I do personal counseling. I am licensed in California. So the, if it's out of state, you can email me at info at kristenmorefieldtherapy.com or kristenm.lmft at gmail.com, whatever. Just Google Kristen Morefield, but it's with an E. And I can refer you to some therapists in, in the Salt Lake area, Draper, Pleasant Grove area. In my family, I'm the oldest of eight, and my youngest brother, the bookends of the family, we are both uh, licensed marriage and family therapists. So now you know a lot about my childhood. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Someone else shared with me, my husband's way of getting someone to do what he wants is to shame them. How can I help him to see that this is not healthy? Uh, it's, it's, it's not the only answer, but taking a look at that shame matrix and practicing it with yourself. Sweetie, when you do this, I feel such a reaction. I feel protective of our child. I feel protective of me. It makes me defensive instead of opening me up. Is that your intention? Or do you want to open me up so that I can hear you? Right? So again, practicing being present, practicing validating, practicing connecting with common humanity. We all do this. We all learned this, but it's not exactly true. And, and so helping that, I would look up some shame videos. Brene Brown has an amazing podcast. And in her book, Daring Greatly, she specifically talks about how men experience shame. And that may be, uh, that was transformational for my husband to read that part. So sharing that with you. I just have a really quick question. At the very beginning when you were talking about, you, you showed like, I think it was five reactions that you could have and which one was the most compassionate or whatever. Yeah. And I actually failed that test. When I, <laughs> so, so first of all, I do want to say thank you for your, your whole analogy of cilantro because now I feel validated because I always thought something was wrong that I didn't like it. And then also, I thought it was I thought at first that it was the one that you apologize, not the apologizing profusely. But, and so my question is that, is there something wrong with apologizing? Because I, I still feel that if I had a party 
and people didn't like something, I think I would react like number four, but I still would apologize that I hadn't known that would be difficult for some people. Yeah. Okay to apologize, or is that like another thing that says it's all about me? It's a beautiful question. Thank you. I apologize too. I was trained to apologize. My father, when I was about 11, said, Kristen, stop apologizing. And I paused and I thought and I said, well, but dad, what else do I say? And he didn't have an answer. He just wanted me to stop apologizing. So it wasn't very helpful. So of course, my life quest is what do I do instead of apologize? And yes, it's okay to apologize. And you are also right that apologizing makes it about me, where acknowledging, whoops, oh, wow, I made a mistake, temporarily can make it about me, but it focuses back on the situation, right? So when I apologize, what, what usually happens, the reaction that I almost always get is, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it, or you're being too hard on yourself, or no big deal. I don't need, I don't, I have learned that that isn't very comforting for me. And it takes them out of their experience. So when I apologize, like to my daughter, hey, I am so sorry, I did not, I did not mean to, you know, XYZ. I always follow it up with something like, how are you feeling about that? Or do you want to talk more about it? So in, I do think it's okay to apologize once. Hey, sorry, everybody. I didn't even realize that cilantro liking could, could be a genetic feature of our lives, right? And then stopping it. Yes, I think that's okay. But going into the kitchen to make a new salad, that, that's what I do, right? Immediately fix. I got to go fix it. And what does that do? It disconnects me from my guests. It allows me to fly. I'm flying. It's a trauma response. I'm going to go hide instead of feeling. And instead of noticing, and I think this is really powerful. Wait a second. Everybody who didn't like cilantro moved it to the side of their plate. They did it. They took care of themselves. This is critical with children, right? I want my child to know you can do this. Look at you moving that cilantro to the side of the plate. If somebody comes up to me and says, how dare you serve cilantro? Then I would say, oh, wow, it sounds like you don't like cilantro. Sorry, sorry about that. I had no idea. Very different. Does it help, Kathy? Good. All right. I have two more questions in the chat, and we have four more minutes. So two minutes per question. No pressure, Kristen. Oh, <laughs> terrific. No more stories about my childhood then. You're welcome. <laughs> All righty. How do you apply your matrix to personal shame? Thank you. So personal shame is where I live the most and, well, not anymore, but that's the thing that I love how you were saying, how do I apply it to personal shame? Because that's where we have to start. I'm really not going to be able to be of much use to anybody until I have solved this myself. So in the story that I shared about telling my daughter, did you aggravate the person who hit you with the bat? What I had to do was, <clears throat> after it happened, I had to sit down with myself and go through this process. And for me, I write it. I had to validate, Kristen, you made a mistake. 
I had to acknowledge it. I had to say, I didn't like what had happened. I, I feel so bad, but I'm saying this to myself alone. I'm not sharing that process with the person I've hurt. I stayed in the moment. This feels really awful. I didn't even realize it was happening. I have to be curious versus judgmental. So maybe, okay, so let me think about this. I'm thinking about the question a different way. Personal shame is the belief that I am bad, that it's not that I did something bad that I don't want to do again. It's the belief that I am bad. And so what I would bring here is curiosity more than anything else. Is that true? What evidence do I have that that is true? What evidence do I have that it is not true? What stories am I telling myself about my badness? What purpose does my badness serve? Usually, this shame keeps us stuck where compassion keeps us moving. And so what are, if you are staying stuck, often it's because it feels safer. That's my truth. How would you then com compassionately identify, wow, if I get unstuck, I'm going to have to do this? Like for me, it was giving this talk, becoming a therapist, changing my career. I was so terrified of becoming unstuck because these things are harder. Being curious will help you to be compassionate. So that's how I know we have lim limited or no time. So a little snippet. All right. Could you possibly give more suggestions how to talk to our kids without shaming them for, say, playing video games too much? Yes, I actually have on my website, I don't know if I put up the whole presentation, but recently I did a presentation on how our, our brains and especially our children's brains react to video games. And the critical place where our children are that's actually being deeply harmed by COVID-19 isolation is that our teens and our kids are becoming social. They, no, they already are social, but they're becoming more. They are learning how to interact with the world. And most of their games are allowing them to connect socially. So what you want to be mindful of, and, and again, look on my website, there's a, there's a blog piece if you, on this topic, if you are, if it doesn't answer your questions, email me and I'll put up more information. But what you want to do to engage them is to have a weekly family meeting about tech time. How much you want to be mindful and aware of what they are doing, how are they are behaving after. If they are showing signs of withdrawal, like being angrier, or isolating, or kind of not being able to be calm, then, then this is a real problem. If they're not showing those signs, this isn't a problem. So part of this will be structuring, and structuring when can you play. They're on computers now all the time, so acknowledging we need a strategy to deal with this. And then in terms of not shaming them, it has to be, and this is why I, I'm talking about a weekly meeting, hey, how are you feeling about your screen time? Oh, I like it. Terrific. That's great. Here's what I'm noticing. Your chores on Tuesday and Friday were not done. I know that doing chores is no fun and it's hard, 
how can we make sure that those chores get done first? I noticed that you are really angry after you get off. Could we try, instead of getting an hour and a half of game time, 30 minutes, take a break. You may not play XYZ game because I notice how angry you are and how you talk while you're doing that, right? It's not, those are facts instead of shaming. Where if we focus on the behavior, the, the anger behavior, what's wrong with you? Oh, it's because you spent too much time on your game. Part of it is just the delivery. And again, let me know if you need more information with that. I am happy to uh, share that. I, I actually work a lot with that issue. Uh, Kristen, could you just stay? Could we just, yeah, could we just have you longer? Yes, this is my craft room. Do you want to come and craft with me? Oh, that would be... Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, um, that would be fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for everything you've shared and for all of your effort as a human, just like we are working on things so that you can be here to help us. Appreciate that so much. And sisters, thank you for coming. So grateful that you're here. We hope that you'll check out some of the things that we teach in our mom power training here at Mothers You Know. We've just been so blessed by the principles and how they support so many things that Kristen has said today. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, mothersyouknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find the message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers Who Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. The Eternal Warriors podcast, hosted by two YSA eight young men who share their story, teach valuable lessons, and interview special guests, and the Clark and Linda Show, a courageous couple that shares their journey of pornography addiction and how that affected their marriage and family. You can follow us on our social media pages on Facebook under mothersyouknow.lcs or search for Mothers You Know and on Instagram, username at mothers underscore who know. Last, if you would like additional support and training, Please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power Training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at mothersyouknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services, at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. And by the way, if you do enroll in a program, use our promo code M. WK on the enrollment form to get $25 off a Sense of Human intake session. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit. 
please email me at mothersyouknow at lifechangingservices.org. Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.